Hello, I'm Frank Dina with the Chicago Area Archivists, and welcome to Season 3 of Chicago Open Archives podcast. This season, we will be diving into the archival origin stories of our archive professionals from around the Chicago area. Today, I'm here with Kier Fakrell-Dean, archivist and special collections at Oak Park Public Library, and he is here to tell us a little bit about his career path and current role. Kier, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Frank. Uh, we can get right into it. Uh, there's, a, there's one standard question that we like to ask, which which is a good introductory question, and that is, um, if you're at a family gathering, how do you explain your job or what you do uh, someone who has no idea what an archive is or what an archivist does? Well, it's not an easy thing to do. It's one of those careers where there are so many different things that an archivist can do, it's kind of hard to come up with a quick general introduction um, that really is accurate. But what I say is um, we're people who take care of historical records, could be old manuscripts, old books, old record business records, um, correspondence, whatever people kind of produce in the course of their working life, those records, when they're not really being actively used anymore and they just have to go into long-term storage, we're the people who take care of those and then provide access to them for historians or other types of researchers, anyone who wants to use those old records to find out something about what happened in the past. That's a that's a good explanation. I think uh, that Thanks. Really hits it. Yeah, it's very very concise. Um, how did you discover um, uh, that your profession as being an archivist? I came to it through uh, an interest in public libraries. Now I'll go back even further than that, though. The first time that I really thought about archives and the kinds of things that are in archives was when I was in undergrad, I was really interested in literature and a lot of modernist authors like James Joyce and T.S. Eliot. And I was just looking, browsing the shelf for books on T.S. Eliot and criticism um, about T.S. Eliot. And I came across a book that was facsimile and transcript of the original manuscript for the wasteland. And it had um, pictures of this poem in its first draft manuscript draft with all the markings on it that Ezra Pound had made to try to um, improve the poem and cut certain things And uh, it talked in the book about how this manuscript was found in a drawer in the New York Public Library and then published uh, eventually in the 70s. So like 50 years after the poem itself came out. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So like then I started thinking about like, yeah, you know, everything, even these really well-known poems have a first draft. And I started getting interested in my college archives. Like we had a great archivist at Beloit college whose name was Fred Burwell. He would periodically have displays of interesting things from the college archives, like um, 
there were things about when our college first admitted women, which was in the 1890s, about 100 years before I started going to school there. You know, it really gave a sense of connection to the place to be able to see those things from so long ago. And right. because um, people people may not have a historical perspective of that. You know, I mean, yeah, there was a time when women couldn't get get, get into a college or, you know, or, or certain races and certain ethnic groups were discriminated against. And that's what an archive can tell you. Right, definitely. It's not, it can always, show, it's not always written down everywhere, you know? It can show those moments from the time when it was different from how it is now, and it can show those moments of transition from when things changed and when women were first admitted or when Black students were first admitted yeah. to a college. Um, yeah, that was uh, it, something really, that, I, that stuck with me. It's good to have perspective, and that's what an archive uh, collection can give you. Right. Yeah. And then um, I didn't think about going into it directly then. I wanted to teach and I wanted to study literature um, at the graduate level. But eventually I had gone on and had ended up working in a public library and thought that I wanted to go to get my master's in library science. So I did that at uh, the University of Michigan, was planning to study public libraries. But there was a meeting of the student chapter of the Society of American Archivists. And uh, the students were talking about experiences that they had in South Africa when they were able to do a field term over there and work on processing the archives of the African National Congress. Wow. Which to me, that just sounded amazing. Yes. To be able to work with those primary sources. I mean, it's not like working with primary sources in a library. It's like working with the real stuff, the real records. And that's where getting those into shape so that they could be used by research. That's what I was just going to say. That's where your skill as an archivist comes in to, to make choices and to, and to understand what's important and what's not important. Right. Yeah. But, you know, they talked in detail about their work and, you know, even about how like they were really held up in their work because it was so hard to get archival boxes and folders and have enough supplies to be able to do the job. And they had a very limited amount of time that they were doing it. And uh, it just really um, blew me away to hear about that project. And then um, made me decide to definitely take the archives course the following semester, which was my second semester in the master's program. And, uh, yeah, really got turned on by it and kept taking more archives courses. Thought that I would specialize in both archives and libraries for a while, but ended up just doing archives. Yeah, well, it's, there's a certain, some of the skills are, you, are, are, are similar. So there, there are some similarities, but I think archives still has... Uh, its own set of skills that are different from libraries as well. So, Yeah, but it does go full circle because I did have some work experience in public libraries, um, not as an archivist, but then have recently started work as an archivist in the special collections department of a public library. 
So yeah, I feel really fortunate to uh, be in that role. That's great. Yeah, the special collection sections are always the most interesting. And you're yeah, it's really I nice agree. that you're able to, you know, go into that. In your current role, what does a typical day look like for you? I've only been in my current role about a month, but um, the thing that we've been really working on recently is a project to commemorate the life of Percy Julian. I'm at Oak Park Public Library, and Percy Julian was an African-American chemist who made a lot of groundbreaking discoveries starting in the 30s. And then in 1950, he moved to Oak Park. He was very successful already by that time, had his own lab and... um, was moving into a rich neighborhood in Oak Park and arsonists poured gasoline on the house and were going to burn it down. But somehow the device that they were using to light the fire didn't work. But there was this attempted arson right when they were trying to move in. And then they said, we're moving in anyway, and um, we're not going to be scared off by these people. But then A few months later, when they were out of town, somebody blew up dynamite on their front lawn. So there was this racial violence against them in Oak Park, of all places, which is a really progressive town. Yeah, there's Um, always elements that aren't, though. (laughs) Right, yeah. And um, it's an interesting story because there was that racial animus, but also then people in Oak Park really rallied behind them and did encourage them to stay and said um, that that wasn't what Oak Park was all about and that they were going to be welcome there. And um, so his uh, birthday is this month. And uh, so we put together a bunch of posters um, highlighting different aspects of his career because there was a Nova special about him that was titled Forgotten Genius. Ah. And that's kind of how he's thought of now as this really important figure in terms of what his discoveries enabled, but that he's not really a household name, even in Oak Park where he lived. So um, we're trying to bring some awareness to him and we created these posters for an exhibit and um, we're inviting his daughter who still lives in the home to uh, visit. And, you know, there are, um, dreams that someday the home could be a science center, um, you know, to try to share what happened um, and uh, inspire other people from underrepresented groups to go into STEM fields. And um, we can't do all of that, but we could at least it's do it's some lot. displays it's, it's too. Yeah, the displays. Right. I wanted to ask you about your displays. How did you? Yeah. Um, how? What? What? Did you have photos? Did you have? Yeah. Explanations of the theories. Yeah. You, so um, um, there's another archive at the DePaul University Archives, which is where he went to undergrad and then he later taught. That has a great collection. Uh, a lot of it is online and digital. And so we were able to get some photos from them. Um, did you have we were able to hard to get permission or did you? No, they were very generous. Oh, good. They just said, as long as we attribute it to DePaul University archives, we were welcome to okay. use them. That's fair. And um, then there was another photo we used was uh, in the collection of the Oak Park River Forest Museum. 
uh, Oak Park River Forest Historical Society, which is headquartered in that museum. That was a really great picture of him in a lab. They, uh, they too said that we could use it for our displays. And um, yeah, so we're hoping that someday maybe we will be able to acquire more material about him, um, you know, but uh, for now we, we just wanted to call attention to this remarkable Oak Parker because in Oak Park, so many people are overshadowed by Ernest Hemingway and Frank Lloyd Wright, which we have some great collections of their stuff too, but um, we want our, archive there, our special collections department, to tell stories of more diverse people and um, stories that haven't been as well known as those of um, those two giants of Oak Park. Well, that's uh, really, it's great. You you know, you've only been working there a couple months and then you get thrown on a project like that. That's really Yeah, just a month. Great. That's yeah. like the first thing that we had to do. And um, we've had some researchers um, come in to use some of the Hemingway material. It's some people from the Hemingway Foundation, the uh, birthplace home. They were um, trying to get some historical information on some of the paint that had been used in uh, that birthplace home um, that's there on Oak Park Avenue and is now a museum for Ernest Hemingway. We have some files about all of the restorations that have taken place at that home over the years that's really that's really valuable i think that's great for people studying um, yeah biographies that they have that mm-hmm. uh, let's see i think you kind of answered some of this one of our questions our standard questions is um what was your journey like in getting to this point in your career but i think we've kind of covered that yeah i think we have is there anything it, you, it, you know to it was that maybe in your original uh, explanation you didn't uh, say yeah i'll definitely give a shout out to the chicago area archivists because um it was at a holiday party in uh 27 2016 i think that i met um two archivists who really gave me my first break in archives jobs in chicago one was allison hinterleiter from the newberry library And one was Kristen Reed, who at the time was working at WBEZ and now is working at the Obama Foundation. And um, I met them and told them that I was looking for work in archives. And uh, we got to be in touch. And uh, the Newberry had a project coming up, working on the archives of the Kurt Tyke Postcard Company. Uh, which was a huge manufacturer of postcards in the 20th century. WBEZ had a project where they were going through and cataloging a bunch of recordings that had been digitized from um, various radio shows from like maybe the past 20, 25 years or so. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, they were very different types of jobs, but it ended up that I was able to start working for both of those places. So basically I was working full-time, maybe a little over full-time. It was three days a week at the Newberry and two days a week at WBEZ and really learning a lot about archives and these projects that were about very different periods in Chicago history. And, and working with different kinds of media too. 
very different audio yeah. recordings, mm-hmm. you know, written words and uh, just right. And with the postcards, it was original art, and you know, we had to deal with nitrate negatives in some cases. Oh yeah. Um, so I got some experience with that, but uh, you know, a lot of original photographs, and then on the other hand, it was the digital recordings of these old radio shows. Um, you know, so it was a great experience to have. I was doing those for uh, about two years at the Newberry and about three years at WBEZ. Oh, that's a that's a great background. Yeah, Especially yeah. So um, that long. I mean, it's not just for a few weeks that they hire right. you to take care of some records, but you're there for a long mm-hmm. time and can see, you know, to see things develop and 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 to get a the, the breadth of the project too. Yeah, and really it all happened because of meeting the right people at this Chicago area archivists holiday party. I I met somebody from Chicago area archivists, although it was actually on a job, but this person, uh, we end up, ended up working together, Jane Kenamore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she sort of introduced me to Chicago area archivists. And that's, and that's why, you know, I got more involved with, with people there it's yeah yeah and uh you know it's a really great group a lot of great people and um i was able to go to an archives conference in 2019 through uh a scholarship that i won um through the group uh was able to go to the midwest archives conference and met some people there and actually i'm going to be going back this year in madison i'm going to be presenting I'm going to be presenting on uh, my research on F.D. Cossett, the founder of Lagrange. Okay, that so. you, that you did a video on that. Correct? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I yep. saw part of it. It's, it's, uh, it's a, that's a good subject too. Yeah, good guess, right? Right. Yeah, the the founder of my hometown, which is this you know upper middle class suburb in Chicago, has roots in the plantations of. 19th century Tennessee. That's the great thing about history is that it's just, you know, endless, the different directions that it can pull you in. I've learned so much about slavery and um, about the Civil War and about Reconstruction, you know, the history of Chicago suburbs, all by working on this research project, which I really started doing independently. The work that I was doing when I was starting on it, I... knew a little bit about it when I was still working at the Newberry, but it was unrelated to the work I was doing there. And then uh, most of the rest of the time, after those archives projects ended, I was working in circulation and tech services at a public library in LaGrange Park. And um, that research was really unrelated to that work. So I was doing it on my own and um, yeah, just reading what I could and um, you know, asking experts when I could. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to switch gears a little bit and I'm going to say, what kind of databases do you use for cataloging your work? We have some, uh, some finding aids, um, you know, some inventories of the collection, but they're very, um, you know, they're very partial. Uh, There are certain collections. Some of the Hemingway material is very well cataloged. You know, it's in, uh, EAD and coded archival description um, formats, 
you can get to them kind of very indirectly if you go to the special collections page at oppl.org. You know, they haven't done much cataloging, but they haven't been acquiring many collections. Um, they're very limited on space there, um, you know, although they have a very uh, nice facilities, you know, they can't really acquire as many collections as they would like because of the limitations of space. Sure. Like for the Percy Julian thing, we were able to use databases that the library has access to, like um, for historical newspapers, even um, sure, that would, just that would to work. find sources from the time of when, for example, Percy Julian was awarded Chicagoan of the Year for 1949. Um, we could get that sometimes article. Um, we could get articles about him in the Chicago Defender, which okay. there were many because he was such a prominent African-American figure. What are the Defender's um, archive, archives like? They're fully searchable. They're are they 100% online? digitized from oh. 1900 to the present. Wow. That's um, yeah. And uh, they're available. Um, but one of the really great things that I came across in my research on Julian was um, some articles from the Baltimore Afro-American that were kind of scandalous at the time because they published very personal letters that he had written to colleagues about his time when he was working on his PhD in Vienna. And he was talking about how much freedom there was. And um, in, in Vienna, in Vienna, yeah, compared to the United States in the 30s, you know, talked about how he was having relationships with Viennese women and um, just having a great time and really enjoying his freedom there. When these were published in this Baltimore newspaper, it was seen as kind of disgraceful to Howard University, where he was teaching at the time, that, um, you know, he was living like a playboy, okay. um, you know, so he got a lot of backlash from those letters being published at the time. I feel like there's positive things and, you know, things that aren't viewed very well, like you say, the playboy aspect, but yeah, but also I think people don't like to hear that there was more racial freedom or more mm -hmm. racial equality abroad. That's why a lot of um, musicians and artists moved to Paris. Um, right. Yeah. James Baldwin, for example. Sure. That's the yeah. thinking of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Other other people too. So Yeah. And so, uh people don't so this was years, this was twenty years before Baldwin even went. And uh people didn't want to hear that. And um he lost his job at Howard over that. And so we have those original articles from our newspaper database. The Baltimore Afro-American is one of the newspapers that's been digitized from its microfilm records over the years. So we're able to see those original articles and read those letters. Well, yeah, that, that'll, that's going to be a really good exhibit. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'll... Yeah, he had a really interesting life. So I hope we're able to do more with it in, in special collections. Yeah, there. maybe you could, you know, de it depends on how much comes out and, you know, how much, you know, I'm sure there'll be other opportunities too. You know? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. 
So anyway, what archives would you like to see developed, or, or what what archives do you know of that have been that that have been neglected that that you feel like you'd really like to see somebody or yourself dig into? There are people out there who have incredible collections that just aren't known at all. Like what comes to mind is Vivian Meyer. Oh yes, who, I know who she is. As a photographer, I'm sure yes. you're familiar with her story. Oh yes, I have one of her books still. <laughs> yeah, brilliant photographer who during her lifetime was not known at all. And she was just into taking these pictures and didn't really care about exhibiting them. And uh, now there's this treasure trove just by chance that somebody found this stuff in and a locker that could have and didn't throw it away and thrown in the trash bin. Right. Yeah. Sure. And I think there are probably hundreds of just undiscovered geniuses like that who have tremendously brilliant life work and collections that would blow your mind if you were to see them who maybe nobody even asked if they wanted their stuff preserved or, you know, just by chance, it's such a small fraction. My uh, professor of archives at Michigan, David Wallace would always make this point that it's such a small, tiny fraction of 1% of human experience that gets recorded at all or preserved he's right so yeah and and Um, that's why that's why we need more archivists to to bring attention to these uh, neglected uh, area subjects and areas and people yeah definitely otherwise you know they can easily be discarded Mm -hmm. that's so i so i think um uh the profession of archivist is very important yeah i agree well, anyway, I want to thank you for, you know, this wonderful conversation and, and, and a very articulate explanation of what you do in the, in the profession of archivist. And, uh, and I really, uh, and I look forward to um, stopping by Oak Park for your exhibit and also uh, hearing your talk at uh, Midwest Archivist Conference, too. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to it, too. And thanks for this great conversation.